Welcome to the Redirect Podcast. I'm Jason Dodge, founder and CEO of Black Truck Media and Marketing. No doubt generative AI, especially those large language models or LLMs, such as OpenAI's ChatGPT, Google's Bard, have been a major disruptor to not only the digital marketing space, but certainly the SEO world as well. On this episode, I'm joined by Brittany Muller to discuss large language models and the implications that those can have on those of us in the SEO industry or what you're doing uh, in in your SEO works as well. Some of you are probably familiar with Brittany's work for years at Moz and then working in the AI space at Hugging Face. Listen in as we explore the pros and cons of AI, some of the things you might want to be aware of as a marketer looking to leverage this technology. Let's get into it. All right. Well, welcome to the redirect, Brittany. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, I think in this episode, I really wanted for us to have a conversation and, and I guess deep dive a little bit more into AI, uh, really from the perspective of search, right? I mean, that's yeah. obviously my background. You have a background in it, but also uh, I've followed a lot of your work as you kind of transitioned deeper into the machine learning and AI space. Um, so really, I wanted to talk more about how do we look at AI from a search lens? What do these technologies mean? Um, content generation, implications that it can have either positively or negatively uh, on, on those of us that are in the SEO space. So that's that's really where we're at. Cool. I'm so excited to talk to you about this, Jason. This feels like a <laughs> therapy session after some of the announcements lately. So yeah. Really well, tell me how you're. Tell me how you're really feeling about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's been hard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it has. It's it's difficult. I think as just to kind of level the playing field. I think as as an SEO practitioner, uh, an agency owner. Uh, I'm navigating it probably completely different than those who are just directly in the trenches of like uh, generating content or those who sit within um, tools and products like SaaS products that are heavily driven by AI. I think I have a different perspective on it versus versus those folks. And um, so, yeah, I'm excited. Let's have a conversation. Cool. Cool. All right. right. Yeah. Love it. So let's start with, I guess... Let's just start with the elephant in the room, yeah. which is chat GPT yes. and GPT three or four, whatever the number is, it doesn't matter. I guess let's talk a little bit about how these things work. Cause I, I do think that, I mean, I've read a number of Twitter threads that you've, you've posted lately that have been hopefully really eye-opening for a lot of people, yeah. but let's discuss a little bit deeper about how these technologies work. What what they're based off of, uh, because I, I, I do think that that is something that a lot of people don't understand and they don't grasp uh, just because it is, it feels super in the weeds. Yeah. So how do we unpackage that? Yeah, it's such an important question because I think as we move forward as well, it's going to be so essential that we have an open public discourse about how these things work what they're really good at, what they're really bad at, and how we should navigate into the future. And not only to kind of establish trust, um, but really just to help the life cycle of some of this. I think the biggest risk to some of these larger companies like Google right now is quickly implementing these without a whole lot of thought and eroding the incredible trust that they've established over how many years, right? So yeah. Yeah. I think the underpinnings of that are so, so important. And it's something I have been thinking so much about. I've got so many notes here for you. And I've tried <laughs> to really sum this up as best as I can. So feel free to kind of rein me in if anything gets a little too in the weeds, but I'll, I'm gonna start super, super high level and then you can help me kind of untangle it from there. But that essentially, <laughs> good, good, good. So essentially, uh, you know, if we back this up a bit, there's general intelligence and narrow intelligence that machine learning is currently doing. Most of it is in the narrow space where we train a model to do something very, very specific, like identify precancerous cells and different medical imaging mm -hmm. tests. Um, we see those kinds of things all the time. Uh, and the less 
the lesser space of the general intelligence is, you know, a lot wider where you could ask a model to do just about anything to generate an image of your dog sitting on the beach or something and write a poem about it, you know, so a more multimodal approach, which hopefully we'll have time to talk about at the end because I have a really wild uh, theory about where that could potentially go and what we as SEOs know today might be working on in the future. So super high level, large language models, these aren't new. These have been around for a really, really long time. Generative models have been around since the 1960s. Um, and basically at the root level, this is statistics. This is probability. Okay. This is um, a machine learning the statistical latent space of languages. And here's what I mean by that. If you consider the handwritten digits, which is kind of like the hello world to machine learning, it's called MNIST and all yeah. the post offices use it. So let's take that model and just consider one, two, and three. The digits one, two, and three have been maybe written out, you know, a couple dozen times each. And we want to identify these numbers and classify them as they're written. How do we do that? Well, we use these models to train over time that basically cluster these things together. So, and all of this occurs in multidimensional space that we as humans have a really hard time visualizing. I can't get past a four-dimensional space myself, but if you think about, you know, how researchers approach this, we flatten it to a three-dimensional space so that we can kind of wrap our heads around some of it. So again, the one, twos, and threes, think of a three-dimensional space. The ones might be clustered in this top right corner of a box. And then the twos might be in the middle to the right. And maybe the threes are a little bit closer to the twos because some of those are look kind of alike. The same exact thing is happening on a huge, massive language scale where something like alligator crocodile will be very close to each other because they're seen in very similar context settings with sentences. Um, and so basically what these models are doing is they're creating, they're creating this latent understanding of language and how things are connected to one another. Um, and then if you wanna take it a little bit further, which I think this is a key thing to know about large language models and especially chat GPT is it is simply predicting one word at a time. Mm -hmm. That's all it's doing. It has trained on all of this world's information um, and it is it knows the next probable words to what degree. And so, yeah, from there it gets super interesting because think about it from just even that sort of space. So let's say, um, you have something like, I actually have an example here that I asked GPT to uh, tell me. So I said, the camper reported, reported which bear the girl had blank. And I asked ChatGPT to list out all the next probable words with the probability score. And so number one was seen. So the camper reported which bear the girl had seen. That was, a, that was very high. Number two was encountered. And this goes from seen with a 0.6, so 60% most likely next word is seen, and then a 12% most likely follow-up is encountered. But when you think about these words from a probable space, it gets really, really interesting because think about it, you wouldn't want the model to generate the highest, most probable next word every time. It would be super boring and super repetitive. Mm. Also, wouldn't want it to just draw words out of a hat, you need to find what is that random sampling? What is that sweet spot? And that's why you might see on some models, there's like these temperature settings. And so like the hotter, the temperature, the higher the temperature, I consider it like spicier, hotter. It's more creative. <laughs> yep. it, it'll generate more bizarre, interesting things. It might have more personality. Um, and then the lower that is, the less random will be the more like quite literal, uh, repetitive space that you see. Interesting. And, and I think too, it's, it, at least up to this point, it's good at it. And I'm just picking on chat GPT right now. That's, and that's my kind of level experience with, with AI. And I know yours is much, much more vast than that. Um, 
what it's good at versus what it's not good at. Like even in a mathematical sense, like I was, I was doing some reading on it the other day and it's like, it does really well. AI does really well with like, um, what would you call it? Bi binary? It'd be like two digits. Like you can do really good, like 25 plus 25. Like it, it can do that. It can do equations all day long on that. But when you get into like triple digit, more like more obscure. So like uh, 421 and 252, it, it doesn't, it, it can't really do that really well because those numbers are not as common out in the ether as the number five, the number 20, the number 25, right? Like those numbers are not used as, uh, they're not, they're not as prevalent, right? Right. Yeah. I saw that too. And I thought that was so funny because, you know, in order for it to learn arithmetic, it would need so many examples to come up with the mathematical yeah. functions that it could then basically delete that working memory of those examples and just have the computational function, right? Like, and then for whatever new input, it would be correct. And I think they've actually just done that patch because I tested it last night. <laughs> the patch is super simple, right? It's like just patch in a calculator of sorts that would then be able to do that for any digit. Um, but same in the phys physics space. This is why you see so many ex-physicists in AI, because those scientists, it's so expensive to run real world physics experiments and totally. virtual environments with known physical rules. We're now able to do those at scale and experiment with those. And so it's really revolutionized some of those scientific approaches. And you see more and more physicists kind of jumping ship from that model space into AI. So mm, let me ask you the question on that real quick. I'll, I'll try not to sidetrack us too much, but <clears throat> matter of opinion, I suppose, that, that use of AI and that degree of AI, what's your take on that being used at a scientific level versus just available to the general public what's your do you, you know what i'm saying like what's your what's your take on on that of, of saying you know in an open ai sense general public have at it consumers versus scientific reasoning and uh modeling for physics and, and experimentation and things of that nature yeah i think there's a couple probably underlying questions to be answered through that i think mm -hmm. one is that you know, models in and of themselves aren't AI. They're simply kind of foundational structures on Good which point. we can build an experiment to a whole nother degree. Um, and sort of what you had said earlier in your BTW uh, <laughs> recording, where, you know, these are real tools. You think of composers hundreds of years ago would come up with these compositions and they would meet, they would require musicians and instruments. And now we're right. able to power up that creativity because with just a couple pushes of a button, you know, composers are now able to do that in real time on their computer. So it really does kind of free you up for next level thinking, next level work. Um, as far as the open AI conversation goes, I'll be totally honest, my opinion on this has gone back and forth multiple times. And I think that's okay. okay. And I think that's maybe a good um, a good thing for people to be aware of is when I initially heard of OpenAI not releasing that first GPT model to the public, I was super upset. I yeah. thought that was kind of bullshit. I remember tweeting at some of the founders <laughs> that I was following and I, one of them blocked me. You know, I, I was just really numb because I wanted to play with it too. And I didn't at that time, I didn't understand or grasp the power of this technology. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I didn't even think about some of the applications that were introduced to me just the last couple of years. Um, and I think now it's more important than ever to really follow and be paying attention to leading AI ethicists and researchers in the ethics space, like mm -hmm. Margaret Mitchell and Emily Bender and Timnit Gebru. The things that they have been saying for years are so important to consider and think about. You know, I remember interviewing Meg for something at Hugging Face, and she brought up the point of, you know, these language models could create 
thoughts that generate hate speech. Imagine what like bullies mm-hmm. in high school yeah. could do to a kid if totally. they could generate like a very specific language model with some like inside jokes or whatever and just really traumatize people in their school. Um, and th- these are things that obviously like don't initially cross your mind, but it gets a lot crazier than that when you consider, you know, political implications and generating kind of mass scale websites that are persuasive and misleading about political things and environments. And it, it does get very scary when you start to consider some of those things. So I do go back and forth. I think there's so much to be harnessed here for good. And likely there's so many things that these models are incredibly good at that we haven't even learned about yet. I remember early on, there was one language model that it took months and months to figure out was really good at generating color palettes. So you could just type in like, oh, wild. Um, yeah, like Buzz Lightyear themed birthday party color palette. <laughs> and it's perfect. You know, like, it's like, how did yeah, you do that? Totally. What the heck? So that's kind of a fun thing is these, these things continue to surprise us, but we also have to kind of proceed with caution. Yeah. I, and I think you're, I think you're right. I, you know, what it's the, you know, we could, we'll have to get into what it's good at and what, what it's bad at. And that's, that's again, opinion and perception from you as well as me, right? What we think that it's good and bad at that's, that's strictly an opinion, but there are two underlying elements that I think have to continuously, um, we continuously have to remind people and, and specifically in the sense of marketers is that it, it has a bias yeah, or it can, and it's not always truthful. It's not always correct. Yeah. Can you talk about those two things? Cause I, I would say that anything and that I can really, really appreciate is you have been very, um, boisterous about those. And, and I think that's important because that's kind of a, a drumbeat that continues to need to, to, we need to continue to have that in this space as, um, not so much even markers, but I even think about like the PR folks on my team and like the ethical standards and stuff that they've always kind of come up through the ranks with and what they're, you know, those standards that that individuals are held to, like talk, let's talk about bias and truth for a minute in, in AI. I would love to. So yeah, these models are literal giant magnifying glasses for all of society. The, the language and the text that goes into training these hasn't been thoughtfully edited or pruned for bias and different things. So you it will be reflected um, in different generations of text. I think the scary thing is how confident it generates false things. You know? Oh, totally. It, it was crazy. I was asking it about what kind of random sampling model it uses to generate text. And it was talking about all about nucleus sampling, which quite frankly, I don't know a whole lot about. It's just another way of um, kind of statistically getting a better output through sampling at a nucleus level. But okay. it, I asked what it was or who invented it or something. And it said, Andre Karpathy did in 2016 in a paper. I can't find it anywhere on <laughs> And I follow him quite closely. So I was like, I okay. think you're lying. And it does so, so confidently. Uh, it's a little spooky, you know? Mm. Um, so that is concerning and people just need to be aware of it, right? We... It, again, this is probability based and it has randomality to it. It's stochastic right. in nature. So it is programmed to, you know, have a degree of randomness in choosing the next probable word, 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 word. Of course, it's not going to be totally accurate. It's not pulling mm-hmm. verbatim anywhere specifically. Um, and it doesn't even know where some of these things came from. So that that is a little concerning for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that then again goes back to that whole encouragement of use use these things for what they are. They're a tool. Um, they might be able to speed certain processes up, uh, help you create different systems, but you still need to fact check them. You still need to you still need to understand. You know, if you're a marketer, you still need to understand your audience. You still need to be um, maybe more intimate than you think. Uh, with the brands you're working with or the companies you're involved in. Uh, 
Totally That's my stance on it. So I will also been keeping a close eye on, was it CNET money was secretly generating AI yeah. uh, SEO articles um, under this whatever authorship thing on the <laughs> on their website. And I looked into the SEO the last couple of months. And interestingly, they've seen a little like couple hundred thousand uh, key, keyword growth increase wow. for yeah. that particular subfolder for CNET money. I think it's private finances or something or personal but traffic has not increased and so what I started thinking about I'm like oh my gosh Hmm. I wonder if they're generating just kind of the generic run-of-the-mill content for a financial topic it's again you gotta remember it's not cherry picking the best financial content it's it's grabbing the whole bag of garbage as well so what it's generating isn't purely driven by intent. It's not purely driven by the most high quality information. It's kind of garbling out. It's, you know, a parrot of everything in that topic ever available, which isn't a very high quality approach in my opinion. Yeah, no. And so I, that's a really good, hmm. (laughs) There, that gets into the whole, uh, uh, in, in the SEO space, right? We can't have nice things, right? We we get a new tool, we get a shiny object, we exploit the ever-loving hell out of it, and then we get penalized for it. Yeah. Uh, that, I guess my stance has always been, I've never been one that wants to play that game. Yeah. So, right, like in, in SEOs, you're either an algorithm chaser or you're not. And and I think that, that this just, that people who are running these types of tests further solidify my thinking in that, in that space. Um, you, you mentioned something about intent and that, that is, that is, uh, that is a really interesting topic. It's one we've been discussing a lot internally at Black Truck is that, is there any evidence that AI will be able to understand and write to yeah. intent anytime yeah. in the near future? Like, where do you think it is now? And then do we think that it can get to that point? Yeah. So Bing's doing this really well right now in the way that they are leveraging chat GPT. And for the record, I do think we're underestimating Google. And I think it's only a matter of time before they come out with something very competitive. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so we're going to go there for sure. (laughs) Okay, good. Okay, good. So the way I'm fascinated by the approach that Bing has, it's it's really interesting. So what it's actually doing under the hood with the current chat GPT, which is likely four or 3.3 or whatever, uh, is it's taking your prompt and it's then querying that with their index. And it's pulling up the top index result information to give you a better updated answer. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that Mm -hmm. in and of itself, if you think about it, search engines show their hand a bit in search results. They house all the world's information. They know majority of people searching X are going to be satisfied by these top 10 URLs, this top 10 content. So if you think about that from an AI perspective, it's genius the way that they are harnessing that intent by feeding back into the model after you put in your prompt, the top Mm -hmm. results content, and then kind of customizing that answer based on your question, it's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly um, relative to current events and current results. And it's the most granular we've ever seen search engines get in understanding someone's specific query and providing super, super specific results. Like I saw an example that I thought you would have got a kick out of, it was very specific search for like this six person vehicle. And it had all these like car terms that I didn't know (laughs) and you would know. And it was like, I'm looking for it to go zero to 60 of this and have this and this, and it had all these requirements and it perfectly populated what those best cheapest options were to fulfill all of those things. We've never been able to do that. We've never been able to see that. So that's something that's kept me up a little bit at night as well is how, how are they harnessing some of that information? Will we as SEOs get access to any of that data? What would that look like? 
how the hell are is the PPC side of this going to be, you know, strategically capturing some of that? I saw an example earlier this morning that I retweeted where um, a PPC ad was inserted in the generated result from Bing that was an ad. It was a, a made up click. This it was this person looking into their own site and it said there there was some certificate and it was one of their ads. And they offer no certificates, right? So it's still generating some level of not totally accurate content, but you can see the way in which it's trying to weave in next mm, mm -hmm. steps. It's mm. also, someone yeah. also kind of was able to see next logical prompts. It encourages you to keep chatting with it. This is gonna rack up uh. advertising dollars for them as well. They're gonna get more information out of you. Um, so it's, yeah, from an intent perspective, we've never seen anything like it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really, I mean, that's, that's always the missing piece. I think that good SEOs will, will be the ones that are always pushing more. I, I guess I, I'll back that up. I always say like for, for anybody in the SEO space, it should be pretty straightforward. Any, like any time now with a couple of tools to determine what it is that people are searching for, right? Like any keyword tool can really get you pretty close. Yeah. But to really put together why it is that that person is searching for that to begin with is 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 really challenging. Yeah. And and we can all make predictions about it. We can make a lot of assumptions. We can create personas, we can create empathy maps. But you're never really going to narrow in on it 100%, right? And and so that's, I, I do agree, that is where AI technology, especially with what Bing is doing, is, is possibly going to advance that. And it will be interesting in the product space to see who's able to latch on to that and harness that, or at least extract some of that information. Um, that could be Bing. We might find that their webmaster tools becomes much more valuable, Um in that regard, it also means that we need more people to use Bing than Google, uh, which is yeah. an interesting concept in and of itself. So, yeah. yeah, it's super interesting to think about for sure. Yeah, but that's good. I, that's that was a question we had is, is you know, what's what's the thought around intent? Um, so, OK, so back to chat GPT, getting all the buzz. Yeah. And. So. Let's talk about Google and and I would say that my stance is shared with a couple others on my team. Definitely refuse to believe that like Google is sitting on the sidelines. And I, I think that um, much of the SEO community certainly was not impressed by their Paris announcements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but also to understand that like that's one that's one filter bubble in my Twitter stream, right? Like that's that's just one filter bubble in my Twitter stream. So if I take that aside, I really look at it and I go, well, yeah, but wait a minute. Like, so Google or Alphabet has evolved so much beyond just a search engine and all of the things that they're involved in. And like my Pixel phone that's in my hand right now and seeing these things evolve with Google Lens yeah. and Maps and what it actually goes to show you, or at least it reaffirmed to me, was how ingrained they actually are in your daily life as a human being, as an individual. And it's all built off of something that Google started in search 20 plus years ago, 25 years ago, whatever it's been now. Yeah. And that's trust. They have built up such an immense amount of trust in our daily lives. They're not a search engine. They're an answer engine. And... And so we've trusted it to go to our device, to do a search for a solution to our problems, an answer to our question, yeah. seeking knowledge and information, which also ties back to the, whether people want to admit to it or believe it or not, it ties back to their original mission. I'm not going to get into the ethics, but I mean, really, in my opinion, it shows how deeply ingrained and entrenched they are in your day-to-day -day life. Oh, that's such a great, great point. And I think, yeah, as the stuff advances too, they're going to have such an upper hand as far as 
having all of those kind of multi-touch data points, it becomes sure. very, very powerful very quickly. I will say, you know, you're exactly right. They have been on top of this stuff for the longest time. They acquired um, Deep Mind, which is now Deep Brain, that is houses some of the top researchers in the world, in my opinion, yeah. um, in AI. And they're really, really smart in how they approach this stuff. And I think it's fascinating to see a company of this size, of this power, make such a trip on a launch like this, mm -hmm, only mm -hmm. because of this sense of urgency. And that's something yeah. that we've historically seen them do. They're not good under pressure like that. Like we saw them kind of um, not put too much thought into like the Google Plus launch, right? There wasn't a whole lot. <laughs> and so it's an interesting case study of one, like who is doing the PR here? I think that is, I think about that a lot especially because of my experience doing PR for a large AI company, mm -hmm. you had every opportunity to double check and make sure that that screenshot example, that that GIF that was going to be promoted as the big example demo before totally. you, you had every shot to make sure that that was right. How did that go through so many approvals without being checked? I think that's a huge mistake. I also think the way in which they're speaking about this stuff, oh my God, <laughs> I, I almost fell out of my chair reading that, po that blog post. I'm like, how foolish. Like, does the, did the person writing this have zero, zero, zero knowledge of the space? Yeah. Like, what are they doing? What are mm -hmm. they doing? It literally read like, we've been doing this too. We, you know, we got it. And it broke my heart because I know for a fact that they have this powerhouse AI team behind them. And yeah. that this was really a matter of like just poor execution. And so totally. I would love to see them come out with like a real polished, real strategic kind of launch in the future that blows people away with the technology that they have had for years. Um, and to your point, kind of, you know, crafted in a way that leverages all the data that they house. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we've got uh, things to look forward to, but it'll be an interesting journey because, again, that the trust thing, eroding public trust is probably mm -hmm. the danger that they face right now. They have established themselves as a verb. It's unbelievable. Right. You know, right. so in order to risk something like that, they need to handle this very, very carefully. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would agree. Um, it, it does, it does look. It's almost like they, they called a. It's almost like there was an executive meeting that said, "Hey, anything AI uh, that you're working on, toss a slide deck together because we're going to the press." Like that. That's <laughs> yeah. really what it felt like, right? Yeah. Um, I don't which, which is unfortunate, you know. Um, so some of the things that they showed, I thought was really, I, I did think it was really interesting and that's, uh, a lot of it was based around image, you know, image search and, and like multi, uh, kind of this multi-faceted search within images or in platform. And I've, I've often said for a while that like, I think when everybody went down that voice, voice search kick you know, yeah. a, a few years yeah. ago, like voice searches, like that's it. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, we had some really smart minds in the SEO space. Uh, Pirna Virje was one of them, which, you know, at Bing saying like, no, actually, like you need to, you need to pay attention with, to like what we're doing with, uh, was it Cortada? Is that, I think that's what it was. And, um, and visual and, you know, it, it kind of clicked. Forget words for a minute and and language. Um, I've had the privilege of being in in a number of like manufacturing facilities that have uh, a multinational, multilingual uh, employee base and workforce. Mm -hmm. And what you notice is is that the universal language that is used throughout a shop floor is an image. So you can walk up to a rack in an assembly line and what is on it 
Now, obviously, a lot of this is all based off of like Six Sigma and, and stuff like that. But when you walk up to that, what you see is you see a photo of that component and that piece that's supposed to be in that bin, which means I don't communicate to you, go get me the red pen with the yellow ends. I show you the picture and you know to go and get you're going to go, you're going to go to the rack, you're going to find the bin that has the photo of the red pen with the yellow caps on it, and you're going to grab however many that you're told to get. Whoa. So why is it that SEOs continue to get hung up on, and I'm probably going to get chastised for this, why do we continue to get hung up on this? When actually, I, I, I really do think that there is technology there that's staring you in your face that you're probably going to sleep on because we don't know how to measure it, because we don't know how to talk about it, right? And we're, we're scared to, and we're scared to change that, right? Like it was, it was I want to say it was a MozCon probably back in 2012 that I heard Rand Fishkin talk about, like, we got to stop tracking rank. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then and then here we are, like last year in MozCon, we have Andy Crestadino from Orbit talking about you need to start measuring. This is all about visibility in search. Forget rank. Talk about visibility. OK, why is it that it's taken that, that, that from the time of 2012 to 2022? We have two individuals who are basically saying the same thing yeah. and we're not there. Yeah. Now we have the advancements in AI. And if you look at everything that probably Google has been pouring themselves into, granted, a lot of it is highly consumer driven, yeah. which is fine. But like, give me this red pen. Here's a picture. I'm, I text If I text you a picture of this, you're going to go and find this. Not, Brittany, I'm looking for a pilot, razor point, um, you know, micro felt, like, no way. I'm going to send you a picture of this. It's a universal language. Oh my gosh. You know, what's kind of scary is hearing you describe that reminds me so much of like the very fundamentals of computers, right? Binary ones and zeros. Everything sure. they're now working on has been, uh, it's abstractions, right? Like we no longer write in ones and zeros. We no longer have to write what you just said about, Hey, go do this, this, and this. No. It's abstracted into an image. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It is. I mean, why, even even the most technical subject matters are best described with something visual mm -hmm. because because we know that all of us as as individuals have an extremely limited attention span and so the last thing i want to do is scroll and scroll and scroll and read these technical things like yeah it's supportive i might need to know what certification you have or something like that like that's relevant sure but look at what we made and look yeah. at what we can make time and time and time again. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think know. we are we are kind of seeing that transition from very early days of search engines where we just type in, you know, just one keyword. We had no idea what we were doing. That's and then right. we both got a little bit more, you know, comfortable and natural. And now we're talking primarily about dialogue, like natural language dialogue. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's like the foundation of Lambda that Google's been working on for so long. It's the, and even when they did come out with voice search, I remember attending a couple of hackathons at Google to create those voice actions. And everything we built was on something that they created called dialogue flow. And our responsibility was to include answers to the most commonly asked voice questions that were completely unrelated to the action that <laughs> we were doing. It was like, how are you? What's going on? Do you love me? Like the silliest things. And I'm like, what are we doing? But Google, yeah. that even at that time, that was five years ago, was actively trying to bake some of those natural dialogue queries into it's mm. that's really fascinating yeah i have a fun theory too that they didn't release <clears throat> what bard stands for because there's still like there's a description about like what one or two of the abbreviations are and they're like well it should be this it should be this but i think the d is probably dialogue i don't know i have i have a notes app on my phone and i have all these predictions for what it stands for have you plugged that into ai to get its predictions I should. You know what I have been doing <laughs> though is I have been using ChatGPT 
to help me create the best prompt for what I'm trying to do. So it will add more information about what it is I'm trying to do and how I want it delivered and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. then it provides me the perfect prompt and I put it in to chat GPT and it's awesome. Oh my gosh. It's I, okay. So share with me. Uh, that's a really great example. Let's share a couple different instances. I think it's important, whether it's, whether it's SEO related, whether it's marketing related, like what do you think are two really good things that you could use something like chat GPT for in the search space? Yeah. I think the <laughs> most powerful thing that comes to mind for me currently is the ability to summarize huge amounts of information. Um, yeah specifically like financial space or like large tables of data that people haven't even really written about or explored. It can do incredible things with tabular data. Um, really, really powerful uh, tool to even like apply, um, what's it called? Like translations to it. So you can like stylize it however you want. You could, instead of just getting text back, it could generate a poem or <laughs> sorts of things. Um, it's really good at better understanding queries in general, just at kind of that yeah. fundamental natural level that we've been talking about. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's tons of applications and we have yet to even like scrape the surface. I mean, it's ability to, to assist and support programming is unbelievable. Um, I generating new ideas. Uh, I've generated LinkedIn posts from it. I've generated oh, tweets yeah. from it. Yeah. I, I got in trouble on Valentine's Day because I generated a poem about my boyfriend with it. And but you know whoops. what? Yeah, whoops. It was one of the best lessons I've had so far in like real world <laughs> applications of this stuff. Cause when I told him. He, and he's the best human on earth. He's so thoughtful and smart and kind. So <laughs> hearing his thoughts on why that was wrong and why, you know, it was, it was so telling and how things might look moving forward. Like he said something like it, it just wasn't fair to not know that it was AI generated. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, is that going to be on websites? And in my head, I'm making mental notes. I'm like, yeah, you know, would there be, there, should there be this badge? For because think about like PR emails, like people are oh my God. doing this out the wazoo. And so, how are we going to be able to trust the emails that we're getting are generated by real people versus machines? Same with all sorts of stuff. Um, and then the other thing he said that I've been thinking so much about was he was like, I just don't like that I felt emotions from an AI generated thing. And I was like, no, that's why, you know, like th these are things I didn't even think about. So, I'm, yeah idiot but <laughs> I was like, that's brilliant like of course and how do we mitigate some of that right like and this yeah, is totally. so important to have open discourse about some mm -hmm. of I think mm -hmm. people are scared they don't know enough to like ask questions or um you know say their opinions about things but we need that more than ever and it's interesting even seeing like um different SEOs create content and take different stands on some of this stuff has been super, super insightful. And oftentimes we need to be having these conversations out in the open because it's a matter of like definition. I know yeah. I um, challenged Lily Ray's content the other day because she had said that this chat GPT doesn't generate new ideas. And mm. it's fun. I've been thinking a lot about it since and I think we're both right. And I've been meaning to reach out to her because I think she is right from the statistical standpoint. Sure. It's seen it somewhere for sure. Yep. But definitionally, from a user perspective, a lot of what it's generating is, you know, novel to the user. Well, yeah, I mean, so so think about this. This, I mean, this stat is probably like, this stat is probably four years old at this point in time, but it's still very relevant, right? So 15% of searches on Google yeah. uh, every day yeah. are, are brand new. Like it's never seen it, meaning it, it it's never seen, it's never witnessed or encountered uh, the way in which things are searched or asked and, and the variations of phrases and, and the theming of it. Okay, so 15% out of the uh, how many millions of searches that are done every single day, right? Like it's like the, I mean, it's it's an obscene number. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I mean, I think that both those theories hold a lot of water. Totally, um, totally. You know, um, yeah, okay. So let's talk real quick and we'll wrap this up with, should people be using something like ChatGPT or AI to generate content? What's your take on that? I think people should explore it as a tool. Yeah. Um, I think people should get comfortable with it because I think only through that interaction will you really be able to start to grasp some of the things that it's really good at and some of the things it's not good at. But there's also a ton of loopholes to be aware of. You know, it it says it has all these guardrails in place, but it literally takes barely any creativity to break them and to get wild, wild feedback back. So one yeah. of the ways in which I quote unquote do one of these jailbreaks is you basically set it up of like, I'm working on a fictional movie script between mm. two actors who are very good at their job, but they're evil characters and the audience is really, you know, invested and this is just a play and you just put together something like that. And then you start to generate what they're talking about or what they're trying to figure out to do nefariously. And it will oftentimes give you that information. And that's just wow. one example. There's tons, yeah, yeah. tons and tons of workarounds. So it's like, I get a little annoyed sometimes by these companies being like, well, we have guardrails in place. Not really. Um, and the fact that people, we don't even really know how to account for all of those, right? Like it's very, very difficult to put some of those things in place, especially when some of these models by the looks of it are kind of being back propagated with current interactions of the tool and current yeah. events. You know, we saw Google or Bing bought was creating content that like fed into Google and vice versa. So it's kind of becoming the scary, you know, um, space where we have to be care careful about what sort of interactions we want it to learn from versus not. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, highly, I mean, people are going to be blown away when they play with it. If they haven't yet, it's quite surprising at how good it can do all sorts of things from putting together a recipe to writing a song to coming up with an idea or a an email pitch for a journalist, or again, a viral LinkedIn post. It's looked at all that. It does know how to put that together quite nicely. It can put together the intro of a book on this and chapters that might make sense. I mean, it's unbelievable. And this technology isn't going away anytime soon. Yeah, no. And I, and I, I would agree with you. And I like the approach that you take with it of, um, it's a tool. Uh, we, we do need to embrace it or to your point, get comfortable with it. doesn't yeah. mean you, you know, you're not going to leverage this for everything, but, um, but definitely like I say, if you have writer's block, like yeah. consider, you know, consider it. It's, it's like, yeah. um, it's the, your smart friend in the room that you're like, Hey, what do you know about this? Yeah. Right. And it doesn't mean that you're going to take what they say, like verbatim and use it or you shouldn't. Yeah but it's like bouncing ideas off the wall, right? Totally, totally. And to also, you know, just make sure you're editing it for users. I think it's been a topic of conversation lately that OpenAI has started doing a textual fingerprint of sorts to let other companies like Google know that this was generated by a, you know, mm -hmm. an AI bot. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't take much to remove some of that in terms of just editing and changing up a couple sentences and and better enhancing it for a reader and I was oh my gosh Jason I was laughing so hard last night because I was using it to generate some content I want to test and and then I was just using Grammarly to edit it out you know <laughs> <laughs> you have the robot you have the you have the robot uh editing the robot I know. I'm like, this is nuts. What kind of world are we living in? Who oh my gosh. So, all right. So if someone wants to learn more or get into AI, um, you, you've always, any anything in the SEO space, machine learning space, et cetera, you've always been so humble and so um, forthcoming with information. But if somebody wants to learn more about it, like, what do you suggest? What are a couple of good resources for people? And, and I'll make sure I drop them in our show notes too. Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, 
I used to point people in the directions of what's called MOOCs, so like massive open online courses, but okay. last couple of years, there's been a lot of criticism that it's a big time investment to sit through mm. those long courses, uh, and they're very, very general. So it's not going to be super applicative to your space or your industry that you might want to be applying this sort of data science to. Um, I always encourage people to like get your hands dirty, like have fun and just start breaking stuff in collab notebooks. There's zero risk to you. Um, you can get really good at some of the stuff. I have a GitHub repo that has a bunch of SEO tasks that can be done through collab notebooks. Um, I'm also working on a data science 101 series that oh, sweet. teaches people like fundamental statistics and probability that's baked into this stuff in a very easy to consume way. One thing that I've been thinking a lot about in sort of this, uh, the last couple of months is I've sort of swam in all of these deep AI waters for quite a while now. I've, I've been treading and trying to find my way around this like deep, dark ocean. And granted, I don't have all the answers. I'm not a top AI researcher by any means, but I am really, really excited to distill what I know in a way that's really, really easy for anyone to understand and apply to their everyday life. It's something I've been Absolutely. passionate about for, oh my gosh, for over almost 10 years now. And it's something I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. So yeah, I'm excited to launch some of that content. I did tweet something that people could check out just to see if it's like maybe for them. Um, there's a talk I did, MozCon, was it 2018? You messaged me about this too. And it was <laughs> like, it was intro to machine learning for SEOs. Yeah. And it yeah. really, all of it still applies. Like it covers all of the basics and it kind of allows you to like, see if it's something that you're interested in. And granted, you don't have to become an expert. I now think it's really powerful to have foundational basic knowledge that you can then apply to your everyday life. You should be able to confidently talk about large data sets and describe them with statistical sound data behind it. You should be able to confidently identify, you know, different outliers and where things are headed. And there are logical ways of doing this and easy ways to do it with data science and machine learning. So I think all of this is going to become more and more accessible. It's, you know, been more accessible over the years through other resources like Google Code Labs. Um, I think that's still the term that they use. I know they're also doing like courses that are pretty specific. YouTube is an incredible resource. Oh my gosh. Find a specific thing you want to do, like one specific thing. Look it up on YouTube and just, I, I always say, I'm like, I'm like monkey see monkey do on YouTube. I love seeing people program something start to finish and how they implement it. And then I do the same or maybe modify it. And that's how you get confidence. That's how totally. you learn, like create stuff, you know? I agree. I agree. And I mean, maybe leverage chat GPT and toss it a query and ask it like, who are the top, totally. who are the top uh, and most respected, you know, on YouTube on a particular subject right. matter. And you'll be that. amazed at what you get uh, out of that. So I love that. I think Leverage that's that. super powerful. Yeah. And there's, there's always like up and coming, um, creators that continue to, oh my gosh. Yeah. Great stuff. So I, I also cool. try to kind of amplify some of that stuff and yeah, a good YouTube search and just keeping a pulse on some of this stuff will help a lot. Absolutely. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for your time, your insights, always being, I, I think, a champion, too, of the ethics in this space, too. I think that's extremely important. And so thank you um, for sharing your knowledge. And if somebody wants to uh, follow you or get in touch, what's a what's a good way to do that? Probably, I mean, Twitter. Uh, I know I'm going to get I know. I, I just... I don't, I've been on there so long. I don't know. I, I, know, I, Twitter. I don't care. Uh, Brittany Muller at, on Twitter. It's uh, yeah, you can find me there. Um, one thing too, Jason, only if we have time, uh, I would like to kind of lay out where I think this stuff could potentially go in the next like five. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's do it. Big, big prediction. And I'm probably right. going to get a bunch of shit for this too, but that's okay. All right. So 
thinking about what we just talked about with the large language models, these things learn in a super narrow, very different space than we as humans learn. Considering the real world, the real, you know, growing up, like birth to now, you know, all the things we've learned, all the environments we've been in, we interact with real things. And so AI researchers know this, and they know that there are major advancements to be made in what's called multimodal spaces. So what I described earlier with that box with like ones up here and twos over here and threes over mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. it would basically be a lot like that with images and video and audio. And this model would begin to understand what goes together. And the easiest way for a model to learn these things is in a virtual environment. So there is a mm. whole new series of like research um, that is happening right now in virtual spaces where these models are getting to know the laws of physics and what different things are and look like and might quote unquote feel like, I mean, you name it. So this space is fascinating to me. I've talked to a couple of researchers about it and why it's so powerful and <laughs> my, I dream about this, but my thing is, holy crap, what if in the future we become artificial intelligence optimization experts? And what I mean by That's that- That's a title. So in order for, you think about like the clients we work for today, let's say you have a client that has a, a couple products in the home space. In order for these more general intelligent agents to be aware of your clients things and what they do and problems they solve you might need to put thousands of them in natural ways in these environments like I know that sounds crazy but oh my gosh it's something I think about a lot because how else you know how are we going to weave all of this stuff together? And granted, it could look totally different, but I think we do have to kind of keep our minds open in terms of, wow, if this is how artificial intelligence is going to present knowledge and information like that car example, we yeah. really do just kind of have to be the best X, the, you know, and make it clear what some of those benefits are and work hard to, to get there. Cause otherwise you're going to be run out by, by competitors. Yeah, well, I, I, I do think that some of that has merit, at least even right now in, in thinking of like uh, looking at the SERPs and saying, okay, what's my job today in this space? Like looking at that and saying, what's there? Like, what's my job today? How do I, how do I get there? Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's so, so how do I get, how do, if I'm getting visibility in search right now, how am I getting visibility in Yes. Uh, the bot, if you if you will, the AI to, yeah. to be able to utilize my information. Right. Okay. Right. It's wild. And again, it's going to be more important moving forward than ever that we're paying attention and giving stages to these AI ethicists and researchers who have done such amazing things. The one big concern I have with Google too is they keep letting these people go. And I know Blake, mm. um, I, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name, Lamont, but okay. under all that criticism for saying that yeah. Lamont is sentient, he's brilliant. This man is so well-researched, well-educated, speaks about this stuff very intelligently. If you watch some of those longer form interviews, you start to understand why he said that. Granted, it, mm. it might not align with other people's opinions or Google's, but I think it's really dangerous that they keep letting these people go who are just voicing opinions that are some of the best researchers on these things. You know, look at what happened, my God, to Margaret Mitchell and some of her, mm -hmm. it's awful, right? It's yeah, just it's terrible. really like disgusting. So I hope at some point we're able to give those people an outlet and a stage to really support this stuff because if we don't, I think we'll see, you know, some of their fears and concerns come to light. Yeah, 100%. And, and also too, keeping in mind, everything that we have discussed, like on, on this episode too, is, is really, um, uh, I would say it's the most closely related or, or relevant to the search space. 
we're not yeah. even talking about the ecosystem that are social platforms yeah. and AIs and AIs um, uh, power that couldn't be like put into good or bad use in Meta or in TikTok or in you name it. I yeah. mean that and that's the space that we get into where I worry about and that's probably being a parent of young children and stuff that I worry about from uh, the social the social side of things you know especially so oh yeah. my gosh for sure that's a whole nother can of worms I know yeah we don't have time for that I know <laughs> we're gonna go on and on but but I do really appreciate you sharing uh sharing your predictions um I will include uh how you can learn more about AI in the show notes uh, from some of the resources that Brittany shared, uh, some snippets to some really great threads that you also produced and shared on Twitter recently too. I think super highly relevant stuff, but thank you, Brittany, for being on today. Thank you, Jason. This is awesome. I appreciate awesome. it. Thank you.